0: It's my very great pleasure to introduce uh, Dr Jane Lovell from Canterbury Christchurch University. Uh, Jane is uh, a good friend of mine and also a former colleague uh, from uh, Canterbury. She's senior lecturer in tourism and events at at Canterbury uh, and her specialism is heritage and authenticity. Uh, adopting very much, as you will see, an interdisciplinary approach to the links between (coughs) heritage and authenticity. And she's looked at this uh, issue in various contexts, uh, both within the UK and in Europe, and also uh, in uh, Canada. Uh, A book that she's written with Chris Bull, who's another former colleague, from Canterbury is coming out later this year, called Authentic and Inauthentic Tourist Places, Heritage, Theming, Gentrification and Nostalgia. Okay. Uh, and that's coming out. And who's publishing that? Really, really yes. Yeah. Um, and so this evening she's uh, obviously looking at a Canadian topic with the intriguing title of Magic Realities, Staged Authenticity and the Hider. So, please give a warm welcome to Dr. Jane Lovell. Thank you, Thank you very
1: much indeed, Tony. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about magical realities. And you might be thinking, what's that? And we will get there as we progress through. But this is a picture on the front of uh, Skangaway, which is one of the islands on the Haida archipelago and it's one of the most sacred Haida sites. You can see these ancient looking totem poles there. They look ancient, but the longest is 200 years, although the cedar wood they're made from is 400 years old. But this is a um, one of the, I would say, ghost sites of the Haida. That's quite intriguing. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about the uh, the people. Just a little bit of history. They went from 10,000 to 600 in 1862 due to smallpox. And so many of these villages, these amazing villages, were then left deserted on all sorts of islands within the Arquipalega. And they've become tourism sites. Right, so, let's get going. What I'll do is I'll talk to you about some of the key theories of tourism, so some really basic ideas about um, authenticity, and tourism (coughs) itself was drawn from anthropology and human geography, and so we use those particular concepts when talking about authenticity. We'll go through objective, constructed, and experiential, and even existential authenticity. And these are three types, which I'll explain. Winding up at post-authenticity. We'll start off very real and get gradually more fake as we go through mm. okay. So you might be thinking, oh, what's the point? Authenticity, we live in a post-factual, post-truth world. I mean, really, you know, we're, we're post-modern, we blend things, we have Disney history, we like to play with things. Is there such a thing? And this is the usual academic discussion. Does it matter? And I'm on the yes, it does side, which I will talk you through in this discussion. That was my smoothie last week. I was on the back of it coincidentally. Okay, so we'll start off the discussion by just talking about heritage. And we academics like to divide things up. And heritage is set to come in two types tangible, the very solid. So, in Hyder terms, these would be. Um, The artefacts, the totem poles, etc. And also intangible. So intangible cultural heritage. Customs, traditions, rituals. What's the point of heritage as well? If I showed you a button and I said this is Napoleon's button and it went through all those uh, battles with him, would it be more special than a button that looks exactly the same? And it is the same. Yes, it would. One of the points of heritage is that these particular artifacts have witnessed events. They are witnesses in themselves, and have a little bit of that association. And uh, the philosopher Walter Benjamin talks about the idea of aura. And aura is the thing we are all pursuing in tourism. And you can see here. With aura, what we do in life is we try to bring things closer. Aura is about remoteness, distance, and I'm sure that the younger members of the audience can understand what about celebrity could and aura. And we're all trying to get a little bit of it. And in the same way, heritage is to do with aura and creating that distance. But we can never quite take it. We want to photograph it, bring it closer, and dissect it. And Benjamin said in 1935 that when you take aura apart, what you get is authenticity. So, some of the three concepts that Wang came up with in 1999 were objective, constructed and experiential. The idea that you can have an authentic experience of an inauthentic place and many people have very authentic experiences of theme parks, for example. Or you can have an objective um, experience, and so that would consist of official statements of authenticity, official authentication, and the the statement and provenance of an object. You can also have constructed authenticity, and that's authenticity that comes in and goes out of fashion, and it changes and moves, and we always say that authenticity is emergent. It's never never quite static, but one of the biggest theories that's used across the humanities and social sciences is that of staged authenticity, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. But basically that's the idea that you create an approximation of your society for other people to consume. And you can see here, this is the um, Aboriginal Tourism British Columbia website. Um, Get cultured, it says. Immerse yourself in the rich history of British Columbia's Aboriginal people in one of the most beautiful settings on earth. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? Our awe-inspiring landscapes are waiting for you. Very enticing. Okay, so, again, why is it important? What's the big thing about authenticity? Why do we seek it? Well, the general consensus is that people indulge in tourism to seek authenticity or inauthenticity? authenticity, and what we're looking for, particularly with the rise of the new middle class, is that we're looking to get backstage and want something new and different. What we also seek, what what my research has really thrown up, is that we're seeking what's called the rural ideal. We think back, especially in this age of technology and globalization, to simpler times that were themselves constructed. They weren't like that, but we've constructed this wonderful picture of them, and that's what we're searching for. Hence, hipsters, because they're always trying to use anachronistic things and trying to actually go back to this, perhaps decayed industrial heritage to get some meaning from how you make things. So we're a new middle class searching for authenticity and identity. Also, there's something called the heritage gaze, and that's what, there's a tourist gaze and a heritage gaze. So we look at things and we romanticise them. And we can't help but do it. And so this heritage gaze, it, it, it levels things that we look at and makes them into something else, very idealistic, which all refers to issues of ownership. And you might think staged authenticity sounds... It sounds quite... It is a difficult concept in terms of appropriation of cultures. However, what McConnell said was that those people, those hosts within the community and their entrepreneurs, they work together to create this backstage for other people to consume. And that's done to extremes. In Fiji, the sugar festival doesn't actually exist. It was invented for tourists. Mm. <laughs> and so people like to create this front stage and it can also act as a very nice distraction where life privately in another space continues elsewhere. So it's a very useful device the front stage. It's also negotiated and co-created. So people although you want to control your image, people can share what they want in many cases. There are many examples where that hasn't happened. And so, what it's about is managing commodification. So, the previous slide showed an image of a raven dance, and this slide shows an uncontrolled, I would say, image. This was from the Jim Jarmusch film Dead Man with Johnny Depp, and it portrayed the Haida Nation as a very sad very still, very silent people. I, I felt it was, when I watched it at the time, very, and I, I took an American Studies degree and lived with the Navajo for some time, and the, the, the thing about any people is that they bustle and there's activity and life goes on, and Dead Man took this out of the film. So it's quite an interesting portrayal, and I would say one that's not, perhaps, is, is more inauthentic. Um, while having this authenticity of structure and set and costume about it. But managed modification is a way of controlling the image and actually allowing people to see what we want them to see. And Goffman, in 1959, talked about front stages and back stages. And Edinson took this further and said, no, no, you create a stage backstage. And so people are always trying to get behind to the unstage backstage, and you never quite get there. It's always out of reach and remote. Even backpackers on the remotest of the beaten track, there'll still be one person who's eating a sheep's eyes and one person who's, you know, the, the hierarchies always continue. And so these stages are perpetuated and they, they go back in all sorts of different environments. So moving on, this is the Denver Art Museum and you can see another representation of totem poles, outsize, and you might say inauthentic, but re-represented and reinvented here, the Denver Art Museum. Okay? And um, Selwyn discussed concepts of hot and cold authenticity. And what that is, is hot authenticity is very, very emotive and involving, and cool authenticity is the fact. And I'm sure when you go on a date, there's one member of the group that's got the guidebook and wants to know how everything's done. There's another member of the group that says, look, chin out, no, we want to relax. And um, so you have the factual approach or the immersion approach and enjoying the atmosphere. And hot and cool authenticity really comes out through these concepts. Labardi also spoke about post-authenticity. And what she said was she assessed... Um, World Heritage site dossiers, and she said there was so much reconstruction within many sites that you could no longer tell what was authentic and what wasn't. However, I would contest that. I think if, if you look at authenticity on a granular level, conservators and others are very particular about what is the original and what is um, a restoration or reconstruction. And in fact, in many disciplines, we actually make that scene show. So for example, in archives and restoring stained glass, what you do is you let them, you allow people to see the restoration, the older and the new. So <coughs> objective authenticity, looking at it in respect to um, the Haider is there such a thing as a real Haider representation? Is this the case? And I would say yes in terms of these totem poles left in these ghost villages, simply there as um, a remembrance of times past. So they have been, it's interesting because they have been memorialized and they are allowed to decay, which is something we don't do. We change things through preserving them. That's very artificial in a sense and they are being allowed to decay. However, that in itself is an ideological statement. So Nuremberg, where the Nuremberg rallies were held, is being allowed to decay at the moment, and in the same way these are being allowed to decay. But this is more of going back into nature, whereas Nuremberg is a statement about ideology that we are not in that time and place anymore. And so they are, we find, in Western culture, we find ruins very emotive, there's something about time passing that we find reminds us of our own mortality, and so we find it very touching. And Victorians as you know, they loved ruins, follies, and things that reminded them of melancholy emotions. And in fact they're left to return to nature to such an extent that trees are actually growing over them, which is you know quite marvellous to see. And I love the way that uh, British Columbian website refers to this as supernatural, it's super and it's natural in that sense but it has this lovely feeling of spirituality about it, calm and quiet and peace, where people can go back and commune with nature and also the spirits who've left UNESCO um, Sigangawe is a world heritage site, and UNESCO state if you have a look on the website, they say it's unquestionably authentic in terms of its location and setting, its forms and material, its substances and spirit and feeling. And UNESCO do actually encompass spirit and feeling when they designate World Heritage Sites, which is a very interesting and forward-thinking approach. So this now brings us through to Magical Realism you can see how Haider Gwaii is quite a magical place in a sense. Magical realism, I've used that term in particular, it's often used as a literary term, but I've used this term in particular because um, we talk about deep breath, fake, fake, real, fake, fake, real, fake, fake, hyper-real, virtual reality. So magical realism is one I've tapped onto the end to talk about The spirituality involved in places. There's another one, Mighty Reality, which I use to refer to castles and other things. So magical realism in literature is defined as combining realism and the fantastic so that the marvellous seems to grow organically within the ordinary, blurring the distinctions within. It's like the poetics when you see something magical in detail. And it certainly often applies to Haida Gwaii. And uh, the website refers to stepping back in time on Hyderabad. Because these are quite remarkable places, as you can see because of the, um, the climate covered in moss. And um, a famous American who visited this across the world said, so, where are the Ewoks? Because it did seem very um, otherworldly and unusual. And it really does is quite an extraordinary landscape in itself. And you can see why it's a fantastically valued and prized World Heritage site. Haida had a name change from the Queen Charlotte Islands as part of the authenticity, which is also about naming the and linguistics and the terminology that we use. Haida Museum describes the place as the underlying theme running through all permanent exhibitions is the complex link between the land, the sea, human beings, and the supernatural beings that give Haida Gwaii its incomparable nature and cultural character. And they are the shaman, who are the link between the supernatural world and the people. And they they are actually playing that role, they link the two worlds. But it's very much part of the tourism approach to blend in the natural world, the spiritual beliefs and spirituality, and place and people, and actually blend them in together, which is quite an unusual approach. In objective authenticity, we also like to wonder that is, normal everyday tourists up here about um, craftsmanship, and we <coughs> like to ask how things done, particularly with wooden artefacts such as Japanese temples because, of course, they're continuously replaced. There's a theory called Trigger's Broom. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, there was a sitcom called Only Fools and Horses, and one of the characters received an award from the council because his broom was the same broom he'd used for 30 years. And he said it's had 14 new handles and seven new heads, but it's the same broom, here's a picture of it. And there are some things that are continuously renewed And yet they still are the same thing. Ships, often, we talk about this. And there's a theory called the Ship of Theseus, about Theseus's ships. So even the Greeks discussed their authenticity. In fact, that was where it all began. But totem poles are used for vertical storytelling. They are monumental sculptures. They're used for a number of different purposes. I thought they were Navajo, when I lived in New Mexico, I certainly admired the lovely Navajo Totopop, not realizing it had traveled a great distance across two continents to get there, which was extraordinary. And they can be used as mortuary devices, and so people of note can be buried in a bentoide box, which we'll talk about a little bit, at the top their remains are included in this box, and then there is of space, a of piece, and mask placed over at the top, <coughs> or they can be used as house posts, or welcome devices. They're comparatively recent. Whilst the Haida were quite, and are, quite a prosperous people, simply because they lived off the sea, and the sea was very, very plentiful, um, that freed them up so there could be more artists within the community. So that was fantastic. So this is why they have this wonderful, plentiful art. The art was put together by the wealthier members of the tribe, and they hoarded it. They had craftspeople make all sorts of gifts, and at the potlatch they would give out this art to people and expect payments back in return. So it was used as a bartering system. So admiring the craftsmanship and how it was done it is an example of objective authenticity. Um, as is the national park status and world heritage status. Again, these say clearly to everybody this is a very significant part of the world. Authenticity, um, in terms of the Maori, is also said to be if you want to buy an authentic souvenir that has an authenticity certificate, it has to be from the hand, from the mind, or from the spirit of the Maori and applying this down to the hider, the same applies, so it has to be. And from the spirit and mind can be quite a loose interpretation, as we'll see. But if you want to buy an authentic souvenir, they have to have a certificate and they, they actually meet these criteria. Another way of providing objective authenticity are the oral histories. And um, I've certainly ordered my copy of A Story as Sharp as a Knife. And this has been published by Robert Bringhurst with the support of the author Margaret Atwood. And it is taken from some poetry and oral storytelling in 1901 by John Swanton, who collected in some of the original myths and stories. So this book, this is certainly, as I said, that's on my uh, list to read. And so he's written down verbatim, many of the oral histories. Moving on to constructed authenticity, often this is put into place in terms of the art, the Roman art. And um, anthropologists, such as Franz Boas, went out and examined the um, Haider and other peoples, and was very, very interesting in exploring not just um, their uh, customs and rituals, but also the hard artefacts and taking them away, because they have been collected and exported all over the world. So Franz Boas, um, he was one of the first to really talk about high art and write about primitive art, which at that time was considered very high in the echelons of the artistic world, used by Picasso and others as Inspiration. Henry Field gathered up, very sadly, a lot of um, Haida um, objects and also people, Haida remains. They were eventually returned in two thousand and three. He gathered the remains of one hundred and fifty people and taken them out to the Field Museum in Chicago, um, where they were basemented. They were left in the basement. And one of the prominent Haida members said, I wouldn't have minded if they'd actually done something with them. But they were left in the basement and they, they were of no use. And, um, but both of these anthropologists did try to talk about symbolism and the meaning behind the artifacts. And the remains were returned in 2003 in bentwood boxes with ceremonial chanting by uh, members of the Haida nation. And they travelled, there were chantings that took off, they were, returned, they were met by a committee, and there were some really lovely accounts of the whole experience where people said that they felt like they were collecting a part of themselves and bringing it home. It was obviously a very, very moving experience for people. Bruner, Edward Bruner, the anthropologist, also examined different types of art, and he was the first to use the term emergent authenticity as this art with in and out of fashion. Boas did commission some models so that people could see buildings such as the House of Contentment in case they were lost over time and have the models of them, which again is another form of objective authenticity. But all too often these artefacts travelled out into other people's museums. And there are still questions of the Field Museum returning some of the artefacts, such as the um, chill cut blankets, which are made of goat hair and um, bark, cedar bark, and they're painted, and the cedar hats, the bent wood boxes, and the totem poles. And there's still a negotiation going on in the city of Chicago about these, and many other places. been an interesting study of where totem poles have gone, if you could plot it using geographical information systems. So moving on to the front stage, obviously some of the experiential authenticity comes in through the staging of traditional dances like the Haider Raven Dance. The first two pictures display this and also the drumming of the Northwest Pacific peoples. So this allows people to enter into the spirit. Again, it can be controlled quite well um, and portrayed in specific ways. So it may not be as authentic as going to a private display, actually in the right setting would be. It's a way for people to understand the culture. I was very lucky I went out to see the uh, rattlesnake, uh, dance in the Pueblos in New Mexico. I saw some of these dances before they were close to outsiders. Um, and it is quite an experience seeing something that does feel as if it has been handed down over many years. But is it truly staged? One of the dancers was talking about the significance of the regalia, the costumes. Each piece has a story. Each one is handcrafted. And made specifically, and so it's all interwoven with stories. And whilst it's staged in some ways, everything about it is also carefully crafted. The staged backstage is a little bit more complex, that's often when people go into people's houses. Um, The tourist board are very keen to connect Wales and totems. So you can go off on whales and totems holiday and actually experience the natural world and some of those wonderful villages. Um, and I think what they're trying to do here is really make you understand the environment and the setting and location and feel a dialogue with it as well as the natural world, which works, I think, really well in this instance. And again, this is quite a unique approach, an unusual approach. The islands, the, the tourist approach is to actually people the islands with what are called watchmen. And these watchmen are the guides and ambassadors who they are hiding people who talk about the different um, rituals and stories from the past and tell the history and guide people around it. Some of them live on the islands through the tourist season, and have their family out there as well. And this is a really good intermediary and a way of making the backstage authentic There's also Haida Manga and Haida Manga sculptures in Vancouver. So Haida has penetrated out into many different forms, many different interpretations and many different cultures. And like with every form of heritage, we are continuously reinventing it. But moving through to post Haida, there we have some tattoos. Here we have, on the right-hand side, those are... Hyder Shaman yoga pants, which I'm sure we will all <laughs> get a pair of, <laughs> and then for doing yoga in an authentic way, um, on the beach. And of course, we have got designs based on the Hyder. And you could ask yourself: is the magic diluted by this overexposure? Or I tend to think, especially with the prevalence of photography and social media that there is an almost weight of authenticity that builds up with the sheer mass of images and actually turns things on their heads so the representation actually contributes to the authenticity rather than detracting from it. But this could be very objectionable and has been objected to by the Haida Nation. Or does it really enhance the experience? So here we have Kate Bush's Before the Dawn concert where you see the fish people, and others do quote First Peoples and some of the traditions and cultures. Finally, we have the seemingly staged. I don't know if you've heard about this or read about it in the press. Those Canadianists, I'm sure, know about this. It looks like a very staged trip of royalty in a war boat, Going out for a trip and paddling in an authentic way, but in fact, there was a silent protest going on at the time. Um, there were people protesting against a pipeline, and so that actually wasn't as staged as it seems, that people actually hijacked the staging and made it authentic about their voices being heard. So that was a very interesting example, I think. Everyone in their spruce wood hats. But lastly, If you ask me where the authenticity really lies, this is it, the Watchmen. They're the people who incorporate the traditions, the customs, the intangible and the intangible heritage. And if it's really not the people, then what do you have? Thank you very much.